Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you for your word. Words of an almighty God. Words of a creator. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And you've chosen to talk to us. To grace us with your company. We praise you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit abiding in each and every one who's accepted you as their Savior. Spirit, we pray that you would be active amongst us this day. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Merry Christmas! Welcome to our series called Christmas Rebooted. I'm sure John Pentecost could explain this term in a lot more detail, but to reboot is a term that came along with the computer age, and and it means to shut down the computer system and and restart it fresh. You you empty all the drivers, if you know what a driver is, and and you close all the clutter that you've built up just through continuous use uh, of the system and, and all those open programs that are piled on top of one another that can cause conflicts and just undesired crashes, right? Anybody here ever had a computer crash on them? Oh, yeah, get an apple. It's God's computer. (laughs) Okay, I think, in my humble opinion, Christmas might be one of those things that just needs to be rebooted. One of those times in our lives that just needs a fresh start in our hearts and in our heads. Did Did you see, before Halloween even, did you see all the decorations out in the, everywhere you looked, right? Before Thanksgiving. What's the point? Think about it. What's the point of all those decorations being out in October? We have a, a dear friend of ours who loves Christmas time so much that he's sure to get that tree up and the, the Christmas songs playing on the on the whatever system he's got, and, and he does this at the very beginning of November. There's, there, there is joy to be had. There is fun to be had in this celebration, isn't there? As, as I even pulled out the Christmas decorations the day after Thanksgiving, and, and as I was pulling up box after box and bag after bag, I, I remembered the stories and the memories that are attached to each item that I brought up from the basement, even the boxes themselves that have the artwork on them from a three-year-old boy who found a pen and started drawing on the boxes, and those are special. As as a culture, perhaps we've done Christmas for so many years now that the origin, the, the meaning of it gets lost in the shuffle. And I know there's lots of pictures floating out there and cards that say, don't take Christ out of Christmas, right? But but have you found that Christmas has has become even even though you know that it, it's become about the special dishes that come out only on Christmas Day, right? You, you got Grandma's plum peanut butter and kipper pudding, right? And it's special because it's made with Jello and it's weird, and but it only comes out on Christmas, so you got to eat it. It becomes about the runabout, trying to make sure that everything is just right. You got to keep the family happy, right? Because Cousin Randy is coming over, right? Or it becomes about the music. I've said it myself. It's not Christmas until we listen to the Bing Crosby radio shows. 
got to play those, and then it's Christmas. We have all the right presents, and we've stormed all the right sales from Black Friday until the last minute, oops, I forgot Uncle whatever his name is, on Christmas Eve, right? I know it's about Jesus, but right now I have to get the turkey out of the oven. Shut up, kid, right? Get out of my way. Get out of the kitchen. And the next thing, or activity, until the Christ of Christmas is left behind. All the traditions and the trappings of Christmas from so many years and and family history as they pile up on top of one another and all the clutter disfigures what it should be. Can, Can we still see the truth? Can we still recognize the foundations of Christmas in what we do? Can we, can we see the original operating system behind the celebration? Is it still functioning the way it should? Or does it need a good reboot in our lives? In the Old Testament, Israel was fantastic at celebrating. They were really good at it. They had new moon feasts. They had the Sabbath. They had the calling of convocations. All that good stuff in the law. They were performing all the right sacrifices at at all the right times and then some. All in the name of God. They put up the tree. They hung the lights. They they played the carols on the radio and had the ham in the oven. They called it Christ Mass. All in the name of God. What did God have to say to them? He said, reboot it, guys. Clear the clutter that's built up in your lives and get back to the original purpose of the whole thing. All the activities, they got a purpose. And you're missing it. You've missed the point of all the celebration for all of your religiosity. And what I really want is not your feasts, Not your sacrifices, not your going through the motions. What I really want, guys, is your heart. Deuteronomy chapter 10, 12. These kind of verses are strewn throughout Old Testament and New Testament. What does the Lord your God require of you? Not sacrifices, not all that stuff, but to fear the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 10, read through verse 18. Isaiah chapter 1, let's go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's word. Starting at verse 10, it says, Hear the word of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, Who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. 
I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. So God is speaking to Israel here. And God begins his condemnation of their supposed worship by calling them names. He says, you, you leaders of Sodom, you rulers of Sodom, you people of Gomorrah. He calls them Sodom and Gomorrah. You may recall the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah, how their sin was so great that God came and dashed those cities with fire from the sky. The people of these once great cities lived in a land of plenty. This is the place where Abraham's nephew Lot chose to live because it was lush and rich. When Abraham gave him a choice and they had to split ways because they both had so many sheep and animals and stuff and their, their people were getting into fights over it, Abraham gave him a choice and Lot looked up at the Jordan Valley and he saw that it was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. The residents of these cities lived in abundance, didn't they? They, and because of their abundance, they fed their pleasures, disregarding God's moral values because they were well provided for. They didn't have anything that they had to worry about. And their abundance made them apathetic to God. And now Israel found themselves in the promised land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of plenty where they began to feed their own pleasures. They began to turn to other things than God. They got their eyes off of God and onto the things of the world and onto other gods that might be able to provide them with what they wanted, believing that religious rites could somehow bring on the blessings of the God who brought them into that promised land, thinking that ritualistic appeasement could please God even if their hearts were far from it. Does this sound at all familiar? We live in pretty much the same place, don't we? A land of plenty. How many of us worry about where our next meal's going to come from? I've never had that thought cross my mind, really. Unless I'm thinking about it for somebody else. We, we deal with first world problems, don't we? It's no longer, oh no, my horse died. How am I going to plow the field and then pray that the food's actually going to grow so that then I can grind the grain and make the bread myself and then and eat, right? Now it's, my car won't start. How am I going to get to the Acme that's a mile and a half away and buy the pre-made bread? I don't have a good connection on my phone. I'm having such a hard time getting this app to load. I am so frustrated, Right? Our surrounding culture is feeding self-pleasure at the disdain of God's moral constructs and values, just like Sodom, just like Gomorrah. Let's not look back on those cities as a, oh, look how awful they were, and look how good we are. They were an example to us. 
why God gave us so many examples throughout Scripture, that we would look at them and go, oh, it's a mirror. That's me, right? Look at our culture. It's a choice, not a baby. I was born this way. Yeah, we're, we're all born in sin, aren't we? That doesn't mean that we should nurture the sin in our hearts that, that has been passed down to us from our forefathers. Yes, you were born in sin. We all have been born in sin. As a society, our hearts are far removed from the God that our Christmas celebration is supposed to point us toward. As a society, we are only different from Israel on the outside. On the inside, how much, just how much of what we do around Christmas time are actually actions of heartfelt worship? How much of what we do brings us before our God? Verses 11 and 12, it says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams. And the fat of well-fed beasts, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? What to God is, is the multitude of our decorations? Our manger scenes or, or, or the number of great sales we take advantage of in the name of Christmas. Is this what God has asked us for? Manger scenes? Verses 13 and 14. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me, and I'm weary of bearing them. It's a very important statement in the middle of all that. He says, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. The two don't go together. God cannot stand for what one commentator, John Oswald, called religious sin. Religion that leaves the sin unchallenged in our lives. As we go through all the actions of Christmas, but they don't draw our hearts any closer to Christ. You see, all the rites and rituals of the, and the sacrificial system that God had put upon Israel to practice, all of these feasts and all the festivals, the, the motions that they were going through, the incense that God says is an abomination to me, they were all there for a purpose. God is the one who gave them these things to do, and he says, I can't stand them. They were given to Israel in order to gear their hearts toward God, to get their eyes and their focus on the God who knit them together, to point them toward their desperate need for a Savior, and to direct them to who the Messiah would be, the one to be coming, who would save them, causing them to rely upon God. The law, the, the sacrificial system was not just an excuse there for, for them to, to cook another turkey or to eat too many cookies. What is Christmas? With all of its traditions and special moments that will be there. What, what is Christmas? What is the season working in our hearts? As we unwrap presents and put up the lights, does it cause us to reflect upon our need? 
for Jesus Christ. To come to him, to acknowledge him. Or are we just behaving like, like the rest of the world around us? Verse 15, when, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are full of blood. Like the world around us, is our unrepentant sin still on our hands? As we ignore or disregard it because we just aren't drawing close enough to God to recognize it for what it is. Well, if not for grand Christmas celebrations, what is it then that God wants from us? Verse 16, he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds, the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. He wants hearts that are desperate to love him and therefore to walk in his ways. Hearts that cease to do evil and learn to do good. How do you know what evil and good are? You look at God. You look at his moral values. You look at his ways and his law. And then you begin to recognize it. You get your eyes in the right place. And then you start to walk in his ways. He wants hearts that cry out like David does in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He wants us to say from our hearts like Psalm 51 does, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Our hearts are what he's after. It's what he's always been after coming before him in recognition of our sin. 
repentant of our iniquities against him. So we recognize his holiness and our sinful, evil darkness in face of a perfect holy God. He wants our Christmas celebration to bring our hearts before him, to come before the Christ that this season was originally designed to celebrate. Verse 18, he says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Let's reboot this Christmas. Let's use this celebration to get our hearts longing for our Savior, recognizing our Savior, looking to our Savior, the one through whom we have salvation, the only one through whom salvation can possibly come. The forgiveness of our sins through his blood shed for us. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing evil or bad about the feasts and the sacrifices. Christmas and all of its trappings can be a wonderful time of year, but really, its value is hidden in how much it causes us to come before the Lord and draw near to the God of our salvation. If it doesn't do that, it's worthless. Come out tonight and celebrate with music and worship, but come out next Sunday evening. Next Sunday evening service, we're, we're going to talk about the stuff of Christmas and, and how to make those things into gospel tools as we unwrap Christmas. Let's, let's not let the world have Christmas. And let's not treat Christmas the way the world does. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that your Spirit would cause us to take a fresh look at what we're doing in this season. We pray, Lord, that all the things we've been looking at through the book of Acts, that your spirit would move here in your church just as it did in the early church. Lord, that we would be moved to take that gospel message out to our soil, out to those people we know, out to those people's lives we touch. And Lord, would you help us, give us the wisdom and the words to say, to touch their lives in an everlasting way. Father God, work in us in ways we didn't realize we could be worked through. Pray, Lord, you would make our church family an instrument in your hand for an eternal effect. Lord God, reboot Christmas in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.